the powerful Word of God. Change lives, heal broken hearts, and save man's soul. And here's our prayer, Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Look at your neighbor and say, gosh, it's hot outside. Those of you that complained it's too cold, do not bring it up that it's, well, it's hot now. Yeah, go stay with Pat. They don't have any AC at their place. Well, turn it off. They're going to come over and just tell them to sweat. You think, I saw a church sign one time. It was 107 degrees outside. It was in the middle of the summer. And the church sign said, hey, you think this is hot? (laughs) Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29 is where we'll be. So turn in those Bibles there. We're taking a look at a great story this morning, learning. Title is, And They Could Not. I'll tell you why we have that title in just a minute. Thomas Aquinas was a Roman Catholic scholar. He lived between 1225 and 1274. A brilliant thinker. Left his impression on history. On one of his visits to the Vatican, the Pope said to him, Behold, Master Thomas, the church can no longer say as Peter, as St. Peter, silver and gold have I none. Thomas Aquinas replied, Alas, neither can we say what follows, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. (laughs) Thomas Aquinas understood a truth that many people never grab hold of. The real measure of success for a church or a ministry is not how fine its buildings are, how large its offerings are, or how great its crowds are. The real measure of success for a church or a ministry is whether or not it operates in the power of God. Somewhere on your outline, write that down. The power of God. That's not in your outline. You have to write it on there. The measure of the success of a church or ministry is if they operate within the power of God. We're living in a day when ministerial success is measured by offerings, buildings, thousands in attendance. Nothing against those churches. Those churches will do incredible things. You realize that the Guts Church every Monday has a food store that they open to anybody that wants to come get food? Even has a shopping cart with their name on the handle, Guts. (laughs) They just let you go through, load it up. How about that? You realize that when a disaster strikes, like a hurricane or whatever, 
Victory Christian Center builds these small uh, buildings that people can live in. They purchase the materials. They would send a team to build them on spot. That's amazing, isn't it? Hallelujah. Life Church, just uh, on Mother's Day, that was their baptism Sunday. Life Church has 47 campuses scattered across the country. And in those 47 campuses, they baptized 2,000 plus people in one Sunday. Hey, we should rejoice in that, amen? But is that God's measure of success? We're not, we haven't baptized somebody in quite a while. So we must not be very successful. I mean, our offerings may be $1,000, $2,000 a week. I guess we're not very successful. Or are we? You see, the measure of success is are we allowing and are we working within the power of God or are we running on our own power? The sad truth is God has a very different standard for determining what constitutes a successful ministry. And in this passage, the Lord Jesus teaches us about the most important ingredient of successful ministry, but we have failed miserably. We're told in verse 18 of our text that the disciples of Jesus failed in their attempt to cast out a demon from a little boy. The, father's, the father of the boy summed up his experience and their efforts by saying, and they could not. So he was right. He came to these men hoping to find some help for his family. But he found that these men had no help to offer. They could not. Why did they fail? Is that a radio frequency? Hallelujah. Or is that somebody's phone? Is that somebody's phone? Oh, I love it. All right. I thought the Lord's coming back. This is awesome. I hear you, Lord. Yes, Lord. All right. But the reason they failed, the reason they could not, was because they were doing it on their own power and not relying on the, uh, uh, and they lacked the spiritual power they needed. So they could not. They could not. So today I hope we'll unpack some verses in, in, in our text in Mark and, and see why they could not by looking at three different aspects of that. First of all, the lack of spiritual power, the Lord of spiritual power, and then the lessons that we learn from spiritual power. So let's dig right in. Number one, the lack of spiritual power. Let's look at verses 14 through 19. If you have them there in your Bible, let's follow along. When they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and some scribes arguing with them. Immediately when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? When the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground. He foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. <laughs> when I read that this week, I thought of people. No, never mind. Uh, I told your disciples to cast it out and they could not do it. Verse 19. And he answered them and said, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? 
bring him to me. Now, we need to set the stage for this. In verses 1 through 13, Jesus has taken Peter, James, and John up to Mount Hermon. They have witnessed the transfiguration, the glory of Jesus. They've, they've seen Elijah and Moses who came to tell Jesus to encourage Jesus about the coming death at Calvary. They were building up Jesus for what he was going to face because it wasn't the God-man Jesus that was concerned. It was the human-man Jesus that was concerned. How do I know that? Because in the garden he asked God what? If there's any other way, may this cup pass for me. But then the God part of him showed up and said, the obedient part of him showed up and said, the surrendered part of him showed up and said, not my will, yours be done. So they've seen this. They heard the voice of God praising Jesus as his son. I mean, they came down floating with excitement from this mountaintop experience only to face demonic forces when they got back down on, from the mountain. And when Jesus and the three disciples come down from the mountain, they find the other nine disciples engaged in an argument with some scribes, according to verse 14. And it seems that this distraught father had brought this demon-possessed son to Jesus for healing. Jesus being gone, he assumed the disciples could cast out the demons out of, their, out of his son, but they lack the power. And so the scribes now are mocking them for their lack of power, their inability to do anything under the power of God. So Jesus walks up on the scene in verse 16. The father is agonizing, describes the pitiful condition of his son, and the verb that the father uses in verse 18 is in the present tense. In other words, the father's language describes a horrible, ongoing situation of demonic torment. It's a sad state of affairs. And Jesus, here's the details. He voices his own dismay over all that he's heard. Verse 19 in the King James is the word, oh, oh. Maybe that's in your version as well. It's a word of deep anguish. It was really reserved for a time of burdened prayer. People would come before God and they'd cry out their hearts. They'd lift up their oh's to God. You ever been there? You ever been there when you've prayed and all you could do is Oh, oh, God. Because the burden of that need and that prayer was pressing on your heart. Jesus is expressing displeasure toward everyone assembled there that day. He's actually hurt that no one seems to be able to believe. He wasn't upset about the delivery of the demon. He didn't have any concerned about the demon. He was more concerned. You see what he's more concerned about? He's more concerned about their lack of belief. See, if you're not carrying your Bible and making notes in your Bible, you're not going to learn as much. I mentioned this Wednesday night, Bible study. Because it's important that you take from here something to regurgitate through the week. Otherwise, you're stunted in your growth for God. And you'll stay stunted. You won't grow or progress any more than you are right this moment. How tragic. So you're going to go present yourself to God as a kindergartner who should come as a master degree person 
who studied and rightly devised the truth, who can stand when the atheists tell you there is no God and show them there is. When the world says homosexuality is okay by God when he says it's not. Killing babies will never be okay with God. Ever. Well, what about rape and incest? 0.1%. Ever. I was reading an article the other day about a girl who felt she was unworthy based on what the world teaches and says because she was birthed after a rape. And she's been told that she should have been aborted because you can't have kids after someone's raped because they'll turn out wrong. Really? And there's one political party that has no problem killing a baby when they're seven pounds in weight. You know, that's almost full term, isn't it? I have two grandchildren that were born in the seven pound level. Oh my gosh. Wake up, Christians. I'm past telling America to wake up. They've been asleep for so long and left God for so many years ago. And now we're paying the price. But I've got great news. <laughs> Our God reigns. Our God has not stepped down from the throne. <laughs> I don't care what Richard Dawkins says. Our God is able. Our God can still heal cancer. Our God can still take broken hearts and mend them back. He can take broken families and fix them again. He can take teenagers that are just distraught and have no hope and bring hope into their life. He can breathe a fresh wind of His Spirit into your soul so fast and so full that you'll go, and for the first time, you've raised your hands in worship, but you'll quickly pull them down because this is where Christian church stays. We don't, we don't go all the way. If somebody puts a gun up at you and says, stick them up, do you just go right here? Oh, Lord, no. You throw them as high as you can. Why is that? Because you want to make sure there's nothing in your hands. Guess what? When Jesus says surrender, stick them up. Stick them up. Stick them up. Well, if you're having to force me to, I'm not going to force you to do anything. The Holy Spirit doesn't, if you're not tuned in enough for the Holy Spirit to even move in you, you this may not be what you do. But you may close your eyes, and, or you may sway a little, or you may close your eyes and do nothing. But you still see Him in you. Because there's, there's a little smile sometimes that just cracks on the face of a person like that. So you know the Lord's doing something. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't have to always be this way. But please, please, please seek God so much that He wants to show Himself in you. Because if He shows Himself in you, you know all these little people that we're sending, that God is sending, these gifts that God is sending to us, these gifts that are sitting right up here, guess what they want to see? They want to see Him alive in us. Us old crusty adults. I think now the phrase is crusty pants. <laughs> they want to see us old crusty pants. And see what we're all about. Do we love the Lord or not? That's probably a good nursing term, I guess. 
Lost Tina Marie back there for a brief moment. <laughs> and that's, that's probably as far as we need to go with that. So Jesus asks a question. How much, look in your text, how much longer am I going to have to put up with you? How much longer am I going to have to put up with you? Do you get the idea that, 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 that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is getting a little bit of miffed with these people? Can you imagine what he would say if he came today to River Oaks? Do you think he'd stand up and talk about how great we are and how wonderful we are and how this, that, and the other? Or would he stand up and say, how much longer have I got to put up with you people? How many of you actually memorize scripture that we put on the back of the connection card every week? Oh, I'm going to call you out. Here we go. I got two. I got one and a half. <laughs> oh, next week's tough because you got two verses. Oh, watch out. I should put John 6.35 every Sunday on there. Are you ready? It's two words. Repeat after me. Jesus wept. There you go. There's your memory verse, John 6.35. Where, where did he say that was? <laughs> yeah, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. How much longer? It was a heartbreaking moment for Jesus. I really believe it. Heartbreaking. I mean, he just came down off the mountain after talking to Moses and Elijah. And can you see how excited he was to come back? And then to find nine of them that couldn't do a thing with a little demon-possessed boy. Saddest aspect of the whole scene is not the condition of the boy, but the spirit of the scribes and the anguish of the father. And the, whole, the saddest part of the whole account is the powerlessness of these disciples. Why is it that we look through our church and we pinpoint one, two, maybe three people that we believe are prayer warriors and we want them praying for us when we have a need arise in our life? Your prayers aren't good enough. But we've got to have those prayer warriors pray. By God, we've got to have them get up here and pray for Michael. My prayers won't be, boy, he, they'll, they'll listen to them, but he won't listen to me. Why won't I listen to you? Because you're not disciplined enough for him to listen to you. Why should he listen to you? He never hears from me except around mealtime. That's it. Well, God, thank you for the faith we got here. Amen. Boy, I just fires God up. He's going, man, I got a powerhouse in that one. When, folks, are we going to understand what God wants to do in each of us? When are we going to understand? I can't sit down today. I'm going to have to stand up. Glory to God. The modern church has everything it needs to exist. Every Christian has everything you need to exist and to be powerful for God. Most churches have nice facilities. We do. We've got nice facilities. We've got pretty facilities. We're, and we're improving them all the time. You haven't been down the hallway lately, you need to go. You need to go to the office. And we're, Gary's doing stuff all the time around here. It's crazy. Every time I come in, there's a new list. I, keep, I can't keep up with them. I have no idea what my office is going to look like when I come back from two weeks of being gone. But praise God. He goes, well, I don't, I don't know where. I said, well, don't go in there. It's dangerous in there. There's toxic waste in there. Don't go in there. <laughs> most churches lack what they need most, and that's simply the power of God. We've got everything else. I mean, we've got a decent offering. We've got a decent budget. We've got a decent all that stuff. We have yet to lack for anything. 
Even when we found somebody embezzled money from us, God restored. God's been restoring ever since. It's been amazing. It's so fun to get through the end of the month and actually have a dollar in the bank that we really know is there. <laughs> Praise God. If you need God, this is, here's what our church is saying to the community. If you need God, we can help you get to Him. If your life is broken, we can show you how God can fix it. If your family's coming apart, we can show you how God can put it back together again. If you're lost, we can show you how to be saved. This church makes a promise to the world that we are different than they are. And we should act differently than they do. We should be so on fire for God. It should be so much fun to come to church on Sunday. Amen? It ought to be fun to say, hey, what's, that? what's going on? Hey, what's going on? We've added more donuts because we got more kids to feed. Oh, bless their little hearts. They stand in there and we tell them you're going to have one donut. Man, it's like beating them with a stick. But they're obedient and they do it. It helps having Geneva there with a stick. No, I'm just taking She's Just that. She looks at me like that most of the time. But anyway, but when people drive down this main street right here, Elm Street, and they drive by our church sign, our church sign is saying a message. Do you understand that? Number one, it says River Oaks. What's River Oaks mean? Well, there's a river of life. And Isaiah talks about the oaks of righteousness. See, we're a church that cares about the lost and cares about the souls of people, and we want your roots to go deep by the river of life. Amen. And we want you to be strong like that oak of righteousness. And that's the kind of church that we are. They'll see the word Christian on there. What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, it's not that we're the only Christians, but it's, what, it's that we want to be Christians only. That's all we want to be. We don't want any denomination to tell us what to do. We don't want any organization to tell us who to support. We just want to be Christians. So we we'll love God. I like to give my Baptist and Church of Christ people a lot, a lot of heartaches. Because I'll say, well, you know, in the book of Acts, it, only, it says that they became Christians at Antioch. I said, I don't see Baptists anywhere. They look at you, well, 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 you know what I mean. I said, well, because they always tell you, well, I'm Baptist. Well, good. When are you going to be a Christian? Well, you know what I mean. No, don't say it. So in other words, your Baptist is more important than your Christian. There's something wrong with that story. Amen? Come on, join me. Oh, you're leaving me out there by myself. Okay, all right, all right, all right. Third word they see, well, it be the fourth word, wouldn't it? It's church. Church. comes from the Greek, means a called out assembly. There's a lot of churches doing this today, and it's kind of a neat idea, and they have what they call serving Sunday. They'll show up, and they've pre-signed up, they pre-set it up, and, and a lot of people will come, and they'll just go out in the community to do service projects during the worship service. They'll just cover, they'll just cover the community, and they'll have T-shirts on, they'll just go out, and they'll do some great things for God. All in the name of God through this church. Now, wouldn't that be fun? That could be fun. I don't know. The next time they're doing a bike thing or something through Jinx, we ought to get cases of water, ice them down, put around the outside of it our church stuff, and just hand them out to the, to the people when they run by. That'd be a testimony, wouldn't it? That'd be a testimony. We could all do that. Anybody could do that. I'll put you in a chair and let you do that. See? Yeah. Yeah. Are we the called out ones? Do they see us different? Most churches in our day lack genuine spiritual power. There's no touch from God. There's no power from God. The world comes in. There's no help in the church for their condition. What does that, 
world do? It stands around and it mocks our weakness because they could not. Takes us to our second point, verses 19 through 27. The Lord of the spiritual power. Let's take a look. Look in your Bible. How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. They brought the boy to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion and falling to the ground. He began rolling around, foaming at the mouth, and he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. It has often thrown him uh, both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Verse 25, when Jesus saw that a crowd was rap rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him, and do not enter him again. And after crying out and throwing him into a terrible convulsion, it came out and the boy became like a corpse, that most of them said he's dead, but Jesus took him by the hand, raised him up, and he got up. Oh, now look here. Is he going to raise a dead church to a live church? He can. Oh, he can. But do you trust his power? Are you just content to be where you are? What you are? How you are? Well, we're going to kind of be the duck church. We're going to waddle in, and we're going to waddle back out. Every now and then, we see him get all fired up. Whoo, yeah. Thank God he's going to be gone for two weeks. Finally get a couple of good sermons in here. And I praise God. And I'm not going to tell you who's preaching. You just got to show up and find out. Be record offerings, be record baptism, be record attendance. These two Sundays I'm gone. It's, here's your shot. Here's your shot. Do it. You can always do what Mick tells me every time I'm gone. Hey, don't rush back. Got plenty of good preachers going on. I know he loves me. Picks on me. That tells me he loves me. But look at the boy's condition in verse 20. Convulsions, wallowing on the ground, foaming at the mouth. Yeah, it's a pretty pitiful scene. You ever seen somebody in a seizure? It's not very pleasant. Not very pleasant at all. Now, if you're a young person, you kind of laugh at them. <laughs> kind of laugh at them. Oh, <laughs> look at this stupid thing over there. <laughs> 21. Jesus asked him how long the child had been that way. Dad says all of his life. The demon tried to burn him to death or drown him in water. Verse 22. Father bears the true condition of his faith. He looks at Jesus and he says, But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Is that not a pitiful plea? <laughs> Verse 17. The father had brought the son, believing Jesus could deliver him, and now the father's faith has been reduced to if you can do anything. Verse 23. Jesus' words don't come through our English translations very well. But there were no punctuation marks in the original language. We do, if, if you can, and then we stop. But what Jesus said, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. He, it was a straight sentence, straight statement. Do you have that kind of faith? Do you believe him that much? I mean, Jonathan Kahn said that in September 2015, some calamity is going to happen. The world, world's going to collapse. 
finances are going down the tubes. They've been warning that that the that the uh, uh, that the court, the um, uh, stock market can't stay up like that. We're printing our own money. We're we're, we're buying our own debt. Uh, China now has quit buying our debt, and uh, it looks like the end is near. Right? Find a tall building, jump off. End it now. It's over. Really? It's over. Can you breathe? It's not over. Have they put a gun to your head and said, deny Jesus or we'll kill you? Not just yet. Maybe another week or two. Is your God able? Is your God able? Hmm. So Jesus commands the spirit to leave the boy in verse 25. The demon attacks the child one more time. That's the way the devil is. When you start to push him away, he's going to attack one more time, thinking that you'll give in. And then when you don't give in, he'll leave you. Only for a season, and he'll come back and try again. But this time, Jesus threw the demon out and said, don't ever come back. And then in 26, it looked like he was dead. And then the miraculous thing happens. Whenever Jesus touches you, whenever you are encountering Jesus and he touches you, you come back to life. You come back to life. It's like when you come home from work. Guys, you walk in and that woman looks at you and gives you that look like, mm, 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 mm. Now, there's another look they give you most of the time. But sometimes you'll get that look. Puts a smile on your face. You're kind of afraid to walk over there toward her. But then you do. She grabs you. As my brother Dudley would say, how? <laughs> you can hear him saying that, can't you, Doc? How? I can't, I can't do it. Oh, yeah. Man. There's some spiritual lessons I want you to take away from this. Number one, a powerless church portrays Jesus Christ in a bad light. You see, when we demonstrate powerlessness from God, the whole world sees it. The whole world sees it. We've had people walk in here off the street and ask for help, and you reach in your pocket and give them help. Somebody asked me the other day, I said, do we know if that woman's son died? I, I don't have any idea if, she, if he died or not. Remember the woman that came in last and said commit, son committed suicide? She wanted help. We helped her. I can't think of a family that we don't help. Now, sometimes we don't because they're repeat offenders. I mean, they're here, I mean, we're enabling them because we help them so much. There has to be a time when they turn the corner, don't they? But I've never seen a new person come by needing help that we didn't at least try to help. That's what we are. That's what we will continue to be. But it shows Jesus in a bad light. Second lesson, spiritually, is that weak faith is better than no faith at all. <laughs> weak faith is better than no faith. The father was filled with doubt, but there was still a kernel of faith in his heart. He desired for the Lord to heal his son. And you just ask him, Lord, help my unbelief. In Matthew 17, 20, he said to them, Because of the littleness of your faith, for truly I say to you, if you have a size of the faith the size of a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it'll move, and nothing is impossible for you. Mustard seed, you can't even see it so small. And yet he says your faith ought to be, as, if you could have faith as big as that, you could do this. Well, our faith is pretty weak, isn't it? Something happens to you. 
What's the first thing you do? You fall apart. Oh my God, what's God trying to do to me now? What did I do wrong? Oh my God, sin. I got to get my sin. I'm like, oh, there's some sin I haven't confessed. I got to confess some sin. Oh my God, I don't know what. Third spiritual lesson is Jesus is still in the lifting up business. <laughs> He's still in the lifting up business. Though you are dead, He can bring you to life. Though you are struggling, He can lift the burden. Though you have no hope, he can bring sunshine and hope into your life. Amen. I'll wait. I'll wait a little more. Let's get this side. How about this side? All right, who's louder? Ah, they win. Unbelievers over here. third thing I want you to take away from this is the lessons of spiritual power. Verses 28 and 29. When he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. Now, they were smart to do that, by the way. If you are embarrassed in public, don't in public embarrass yourself more. Wait till you're in private and then ask the question. So they waited till they were in private and they said, all right, Jesus, why couldn't we do this? And he says, this kind cannot come out by anything but what? What's your Bible say? Prayer and fasting. Whoo! We're going to hit the home run now. We're on to that prayer thing. Fasting. Yeah, I get the food as fast as I can. What you talking about? No, that's not what the fast you're talking about. That means going without. Ooh. Ooh. Now, Cindy has investigated this cruise we're on. Now, I've never been on a cruise. She's never been on a cruise. Those of you that have been on a cruise, you've told me, how much fun I'm going to have. I said, well, why is that? Because you have buffets, buffets, buffets. In fact, my verse is in 1 Corinthians 9 where Paul says, I buffet my body daily. So I stay in the race. <laughs> I heard that there's soft serve ice cream 24 hours a day. No, I can't have any of that. Don't plan to have any of it. Yeah. And if I slip up one day, I'll make up for it for the next three or four days. Because you see, I serve a God that knows. I serve a God that loves. And I serve a God that can forgive. And he can heal. He's healing my body. Well, heaven, why would I want to mess up what he's doing? <laughs> I'm even planning to work out while I'm gone on the boat. What? Yeah, got it. Mm. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to raise this arm to this hand, <laughs> this arm. And, uh, be like the Clump family. Hi, we're the Clumps and we're hungry. Let's go scrape the stuff. <laughs> Prayer is a state of close communion with God. Fasting speaks of a lifestyle of total submission and surrender to the Lord. If you'll spend one day a week fasting and praying, you'll be absolutely amazed at what God will do in your life. Absolutely amazed. Because when you get hungry, that's when you're called to pray. Remember that time of fasting during the Lent season that we challenged you to do and I gave you a list of things to pray for? Well, that list never changes. You know, there's, there's people on your prayer list that need to be prayed for, right? Every week. So I pray that you'll, you'll begin to do that. 
And, and their problem was that they believed in the wrong things. They failed because their faith was in their words and the rituals that they used and not in God. Their faith was in the ritual. Their family was in, or their faith was in what they had done before. Their faith was in themselves. These men failed because they were not leaning on the Lord Jesus Christ for the power they needed. You and I fail in the Lord's work. We lack His power for the very same reasons we lack the power of God in this modern church because we lack spiritual discipline. We no longer are a praying people. Well, preacher, I pray. Yes, you do. But are we praying the way God wants us to pray? I think it's high time we got the altar call back in, in play. Every service. Somebody ought to be coming and falling before the Lord and crying out to Him. But boy, not in this place. No, sir, not in this church, boy. I'm not going to go up there and embarrass myself. Somebody think I'm doing something really wrong. It's none of their business what you do before the throne of God. Amen? And if it's really sincere, you don't really care what somebody else thinks. Amen? But boy, we need more of it. I know that we're going to be doing something for God when you're willing to get out of your seat and make a trip to the front and just fall on your knees to pray. I'm watching. I'm praying for that. We'll see. We'll see. Acts 19, we've become like the Jews who were trying to cast out a demon in Jesus' name, and they had the formula, they had the ritual, but they lacked the power of God to get the job done. There's our modern church. Why are other churches growing and this one, say, isn't growing numerically? Maybe it's because we're not praying right. Hmm. Something to think about. Something to think about. We always look back to the glory days. So what do we need to do? Well, I think we need to pray. I'm talking about praying that seeks the face and the will of God. I'm talking about prayer that assaults the throne room of God. Isn't that a great phrase? Assault the throne room of God, refusing to be silenced until answers come. I'm talking about the church returning to the days of lying on the altars, seeking God, seeking His face, praying in His power. In fact, we're commanded to pray that way in 1 Thessalonians 5, Luke 18, Jeremiah 33, Isaiah 65, Matthew 7, Mark 11, John 14, John 15. Genuine faith-filled praying is the key that will open the door of revival and power in this modern age. Thirdly, we must surrender. <clears throat> we must surrender. God bless and use a church that is not separated from the world. He cannot bless and He cannot use, I should say, a church that's not separated from the world. It's God's will that we place everything that we have at the altar of His glory, according to Romans 12, 1 and 2. And then lastly, we need to become totally dependent on the Lord for everything. Until we reach the place where we understand that the power of God does not come because of our preaching, our singing, our working, or our manipulation of people and things, the power of God rests on us as we learn to rest in Jesus. John 15, 5. Revelation 2, 1 through 7. Talks about returning to that first love. 
We don't need new programs. We don't need more powerful personalities. We don't need new buildings, new trinkets, and new toys. Until we fill up this, this building five, six, seven, eight times in a weekend, why do we need to go build a new one and go in debt? Fill this one up. So we have monitors in these other rooms. We were playing ahead. We're playing for open row crowds so they can sit out there and watch. Why are we doing it? Well, I don't know. I just don't see anybody anymore. And I don't talk to anybody. And get off your rear end and talk to somebody. You go work. You, you see them at work. You see them at the grocery store. You see them at Ron's Hamburgers. You see them at Hugo's. Oh, I love it. Get in there and tell them. When you walk in the door, they should know who you are. A friend of mine showed up to eat lunch with me at Hugo's. You're going to love this story. He walks in, and he'd never been there before, so he stopped at the door thinking they would tell him, you know, they'd seat him. And they said, well, are you, are you here to see somebody? He goes, yeah, I'm here to see that preacher, Harold. Somebody sitting in a booth in the corner said, hey, it sits right up there. You ought to be known enough that they know who you are and what you do. Amen? When I come into Hugo's, a lot of them quit cussing. They'll always say, well, pardon my French. I, man, I always want to say, and I did to one guy, man, there's a miracle there because I, I don't know French and I heard everything you said. See, Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will seek my face, humble themselves and pray, then I will hear their prayers and heal their land. And they could not. And they could not. The power of God is in that place. They serve a mighty, wonderful Lord. When people visit our church, do they leave here saying that? Do they leave here saying, I went there for help, I went there for fellowship, I went there for love, I went there for hope, I went there for peace, I went there for acceptance, I went there for Jesus? Or do they say, and they could not. And they could not. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning and the ramblings on of a preacher. God, I've tried to be this morning from my heart to these people because you have so much you want us to do. And we've been complacent for so long. We believe that we've served before and so we don't need to serve anymore. It's time for someone else to do it. As far as I can remember in Scripture, you never allowed anybody to stop serving until they were dead. And then they got a reward. So God, I'm praying that everyone in this church, everyone in this room, will feel the movement of your Spirit in them to the point where they want to do something, something great for you. It could be simply praying for VBS. It could be picking up a prayer bracelet for one of these teenagers going to CIY and begin to pray for them so much that their heart will be changed, their heart will be melted, and their lives will be so transformed that they'll come back from CIY this year and this will be their year when they truly, truly take a stand for you and let you be in them in such a real way. Maybe it's someone who's never taught before who would say, I'll give it a try. Maybe there's someone who's never sang before, but who will stand up and say, I'll give it a try. Maybe there's somebody who says, I can't do much, but I can fold a bulletin, who will come by every week and fold bulletins and stuff bulletins. God, I don't know what it is, 
Maybe there's somebody who'll come by and just want to pull weeds out of the flower bed and keep the flower beds watered for so one person doesn't have to do it all. Could it be, Lord, that somebody would be willing to do that? Could it be, Lord, that you, you would move in somebody's heart enough to where they'd see the need and would respond to it? Maybe there's somebody here who would just like to paint a wall. They, they don't like to paint, but they'll come anyway and paint a wall because they know that wall's for you. God, move in us today. May someone come today just to fall at the altar of your throne and have some time with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.